0: Pal. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another, I guess this is the first real episode of the Where It Went podcast. I'm Javier. And I'm Greg. And this week we are talking about Rev 001 Warzone Lower East Side Crew. This is, a, it's, this is an interesting record. Um, this is a highly collectible kind of primitive sounding uh document of early New York hardcore. And it's got an interesting story, I guess. Um, and at the same time, some of that story is like not easy to find. Like we did a lot of research in the past week or two trying to, you know, have figured as much out about it as we could and uh We're just going to go with what, what we know.
1: Yeah, what's crazy too is, you know, this is the first release on Revelation. So tied up in this is also just the beginnings of the label, which is the, you know, the whole crux of this podcast. But it came out in 87. And even me, by the time I got into, you know, knew what Revelation was around 95, this record may as well have been from 1950 like it was i didn't know i personally didn't know anybody that had it it wasn't really talked about as far as like essential revelation releases um you know one of the things javier and i committed to doing with this podcast is being honest and not trying to put on some kind of front uh with acting like we know more than we do or acting like we've you know been places we haven't been and even though i love warzone i've been a fan of the first two lps specifically for you know over two decades for some reason because of the reasons i stated uh earlier and the fact that like when i was getting into hardcore i was buying cds and tapes and this wasn't on either i didn't even hear this record until like the past two weeks (laughs) which is kind of because i remembered being like oh a lot of these songs are on the lp like you know, I hate listening to things on YouTube. Um, it's not on Spotify. So yeah. So this was like really my first dissection of, of this, these particular recordings.
0: Yeah. I knew from a very early, very early on in my hardcore career that this was already a collectible, rare piece of vinyl. And I mean, there's copies of this record that have sold for well over $1,000, I'm sure, which is insane because my first car cost about that much. You know, like, why would I pay fucking $1,200 for a record when I can buy a car? That's just me. You got the money and you want to spend that much? Hey, more power to you, but I'm not spending that much money on on a seven inch record. It's just not going to happen for me. No.
1: And the crazy thing is too, is like with revelation and it really started with this record in more ways than one, so many different versions and variants and reasons for people to own multiple copies of, of the same record, which again, I understand that mentality. Fortunately for my sanity and my wallet, I've been like a kind of one one pressing is fine. Of course, I prefer the original uh, pressings if I can get them, but I don't need to have, you know, 12 copies of the same record. Um, but Revelation really took that to the max, especially with I think a lot of these like earlier releases, although now they're still doing a lot of limited colors and reissues and stuff. And it's fun for collectors. Um, I'm just thankful that I'm okay with having one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, now that I'm in my 40s um, and I have a nice record player and some nice speakers and I'm a grown-ass man, I just am OK with having one copy that I can listen to. I don't feel the need to look like collect every single variance. I mean, just looking at this, this blog, um, there's minimum of eight different variants of this record. And man, I, I have been a huge integrity record collector and for a while it was maddening trying to collect every variant that a389 or organized crime or whoever was putting out i mean you could just just in the first two or three presses alone you could end up with like 20 different (laughs) records so yeah this is like um for for die hard collectors only, I feel like there's a lot of fucking grails in this uh Warzone Lower East Side Crew collection.
1: Okay. So yeah, like I guess the real, you know, thing to think about is for for what we're doing here, we're gonna acknowledge, you know, there's different versions and different, you know, uh, pressings and stuff like that, but we're not gonna be taking these deep dives into all the different vinyl pressings. Just because one, we're not really that knowledgeable on it. And two, the podcast would then be like a four hour episode for each one. And nobody wants to listen to four hours of uh, just people talking about different pressings, or at least most people don't.
0: Yeah, there's so much information, so much information out there on the internet, especially on Instagram with all the big collectors um, Marcus Andrews. Lord Humongous, GTC2, like, you know, there's some, there's some really big heavy hitters out there that have this kind of stuff, and we do They're don't- better
1: resources than we're going to be. Absolutely. So, yeah, shout out to them. Like I said, the collecting, I think it's cool. I just, I can't do it for my, my own sanity and, you know, my wallet, but, um, yeah. And, and speaking of, you know, shouting out these names, I just, we just want to thank- Everybody so far that's been supportive and uh, talking about episode 000 and saying how they can't wait for us to dig in. And um, we really appreciate the good feedback. So I guess now, Hav, why don't we kind of go into a bit of the backstory of uh, this first release
0: for the label? Well, what I didn't, I, I've, man, I learned so much in the past week about this record. Um, I was reading the Schism book. Uh, that Bridge9 put out and saw some labels drawn up for this that had the Schism Records logo. So uh, you actually told me that this was supposed to be a Schism Record in the first place.
1: Yeah, it was, well, originally, I guess, Revelation, They when Ray Capo and Jordan Cooper, who were the two founders of the label, when they were going over a list of possible label names, um, they had a list. Uh, you know, they were, or they wrote down a list rather, and they narrowed it down to two: Schism and Revelation. I'm assuming. Now I don't know. I've never heard of anything about the Warzone Seven Inch being on Schism, because Schism did later become a label that you know we'll talk about. Because uh, Revelation ended up repressing a few of their releases. Um, but I didn't know that – I don't have any information that they were supposed to be on Schism. I think that my assumption is that those labels were before they settled on a name and maybe they were thinking of Schism. Yeah. Um, But then the record itself came out on Revelation.
0: Right. And so it came out in 87 and those Schism zines were like 87, 88. So those labels could have been drawn up. And I'm assuming the whole thing was recorded probably in like 86 – 87. Um, because as we know from being in bands, you don't just put out, you don't just record a record and then the next week it's out on vinyl. You gotta write the songs, you gotta record the songs, you gotta master the songs, you gotta send them off to blah, 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 blah. So even if the record came out in 87, there's a good chance that by they were, you know, involved in this stuff by 86. So there could have been conversations between Porcel, um, you know, Capo, Cooper, all of them. And then finally it got settled on uh, coming out on Rev. And, you know, it would be really interesting as if we could get that story straight from the man himself, Jordan Cooper. So hopefully uh, he hears this and he's, you know, willing to come on the show and set the record straight one of these days.
1: I've seen some interviews with uh, Jordan. You know, I'm thinking of the uh, all ages Book uh, that Revelation put out in '97, '98. Um, and I was looking earlier at an interview in Start Today fanzine done by my friend uh, Jeff Losage. He interviewed Jordan, um, but there's not too much with him uh, talking about this stuff. And, and even the stuff about Warzone, very, very minimal talk, just like, yeah, I was, you know, we wanted to do the record and we did the record. Yeah. And Um, they, uh, I think they actually asked Warzone to record, like Warzone was either already going to break up or, you know, they were in a state of flux and they just really wanted to get their stuff documented. It's sort of like, like discord did with like those early releases where they were, you know, Ian Mackay would say how, Oh, this is just for documentation. Like, yeah, the band broke up, but we want to release this so that it's out there.
0: Well, it's interesting that hardcore records become timeless. And even if a band only recorded, you know, four, record, four songs or six songs or whatever, like one of my favorite seven inches of all time, as I've said before, Green Rage. And they recorded four songs and that's fucking it. And then that record lived on forever. And it could be the same thing with any of these fucking bands and any of these records where, you know, it comes out. They never play the songs again. Maybe they don't tour. Maybe whatever. But the songs are always going to be there, and and I think you know that's important.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll say that even if upon hearing this and trying not to be biased and forget about what I know about the LPs and Warzone's enduring legacy as being one of the you know greatest New York hardcore bands of all time, I really believe that even with this record, if they only did this record that they would still get talked about. Maybe not in the same way as, you know, they are now, but I don't think that this would have just flown under the radar. Like as far as, you know, if Revelation kept releasing music and this was the first um, record they did and Warzone never did anything else, I still think people would be talking about this, you know, just like they talk about Side by Side or any of the other early bands that only did a seven-inch
0: Alone in a Crowd, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Like,
1: it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a classic, you know, New York hardcore record that's of that time, but still holds up today.
0: I think another important thing that it did was introduce hardcore in, in by and large, to skinhead culture, which, you know, Agnostic Front did years before, but uh, Rabies being a skinhead for his entire life and, um, you know, it, it kind of, even my wife the other day, I was looking through the, the schism book and I was like, oh, look at these skinheads. And she's like, wait, aren't skinheads bad? And I had to be like, oh n- <laughs> no, not all skinheads are bad. And so I had to tell her that. And I imagined that, you know, these guys had to do that their entire lives, but, um, it was an important thing to, you know, that it, it spread out from there and, and it showed unity and, you know, you could be anything in hardcore.
1: Yeah. And um, you mentioned Rabies and I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about well, first I figured I'll go over who's on this record. Mm. Warzone is a band that through their entire career had a ton of lineups um, with with Rabies, I believe, being the only consistent member. I'm I'm like ninety nine point nine percent sure. Uh, so on this record, you have rabies, you know, the late great Rabies uh, on vocals. Uh, you've got the late great Todd Youth on guitar, lead guitar. He's labeled as lead guitar, which is kind of weird for, I think, a hardcore band to differentiate between lead guitar and rhythm guitar. Like that seems more like a, a hard rock thing or something. Um, you have Brad on rhythm guitar no last name uh, on bass, Tito and Batmite. And then on drums, Charlie and Tommy. So, really, the Warzone story starts with rabies. And um, I know, Javier, you, you wanted to, I think, talk a little bit about like how wars, you know, a little bit about the history of Warzone, since this is going to be the only Warzone release we talk about on here for like Wild. four years yeah. until, <laughs> they <reissued> the, <laughs> until they reissued the. Uh, the first
0: two LPs. Yeah. You know, I, I guess I didn't really connect the dots that rabies had played drums for agnostic fronts. And he played on the United blood seven inch, which came out in 83. And the story that I read was that Roger kind of was like, Hey, you know, you're not so good at drums. You know, it got by and you, you made the seven inch and it's cool. But, we think you should start your own thing. And, you know, Rabies had had this idea for Warzone and Warzone as a collective and Warzone as a bunch of people living together and and a a group, a crew. And then the, the band kind of formed out of that with him and Todd Youth. And so, you know, the seeds of it are planted all the way back in 83, which is fucking wild because that's like six years after punk started you know punk is being credited as started in 77 and six years later you have these fucking skinheads in new york city making records that are like so next level um and i think that that's fucking it's it's a great accomplishment um rabies and todd youth deserve a lot of uh Man, just a lot of uh, attention for, you know, what they put into the scene, hardcore, all that stuff. Um, I also read somewhere in this, I, I wish I had cited my sources, but I was just like took in so much information. I read that Todd Youth recorded this record and then quit the band before it came out. And then came back. I don't know the validity of that statement, but it's a it's an interesting story. It sounds it sounds about right. And I was going to
1: say, you also can't really talk about the beginnings of Warzone and this whole era without talking about Todd Youth. I think um, Todd Youth he passed away uh, back in October of 2018, um, and he's somebody who is you know integral to New York hardcore. Um, he was in you know, he played an agnostic front when he was 13. Yeah. I mean, that's that blows my mind. I'm thinking about what what I was doing when I was 13, but he was, you know, he was this runaway kid. Um, I forget where he was originally from, and he just came to the Lower East Side and you know, started playing. I think he played bass in Agnostic Front, if I'm not mistaken. And then he, you know, ended up doing Warzone. He would always refer, they would refer to Rabies and Todd would refer to themselves as brothers But they weren't blood related But they were very close You know like brothers And you know Todd went on to do So many I mean he was in Murphy's Law After that and then He was in that band Degeneration with Jesse Malin um, When I saw the Sam Samhain Reunion in 99 He was playing with Danzig and Sam Hayne then um, he played with like Glenn Campbell. He's, I mean, he's kind of, he did so many things, but it really did all start back in the, you know, early eighties when he was a teenager. But I definitely believe that that sounds about right, that he would have recorded and then quit and then come back um, to the band.
0: Yeah. Also shout out to the Fireburn seven inch uh, <laughs> that, or the, this, the Fireburn EPs, like those records are, are fucking great. Um, and I think that that's a really good, like last, um, imprint that Todd youth made. I I didn't really know him from New York hardcore. I didn't really, I, I, I got to admit right here and now I'm not the biggest New York hardcore fan as you'll come to, you'll come to understand. So I (laughs) I didn't, I didn't really stand for Todd youth, but I met him here in California just in the past, like five years or so. And so I knew him for, as the bass player of Fireburn. And then, like, you know, oh, he was also in Danzig and this and that. And um, so, yeah, uh, Todd and, and Rabies. If you get a chance, uh, everybody should watch on YouTube. Uh, the, there's, like, a morning program that's Todd and Rabies and a few girls. And they talk to, like, Regis Yes, and, and is it Regis and Kathy Lee? Yes, and yeah, that, that interview is great. <laughs> uh, you know, just them talking about um, punk culture and w- what I was thinking the other day about that interview is how interesting it was that now punk and hardcore, it's not. It's just like accepted. You know, you see a punk walking down the street, you don't really do anything. Back then, '89. 80, You could get majorly fucked with by a truck full of rednecks or by someone on the street who didn't like the way you look just for being a fucking punk. And these guys, I'm sure they got fucked with a lot in New York City. Oh, yeah. In the early 80s for just for how they looked.
1: Yeah. And I like that you only used odd-numbered years because we're saying in 86 (laughs) and 88, if you were a punk and you're walking around, you you were fine. But as soon as... (laughs) As soon as January 1st, 89 yeah. hit, that was it. It was over. You had to wear a hat over your mohawk.
0: Well, the numbers oh. were doubled in 88, I heard.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yes, yeah, that, that is great. And also there was the Donahue uh, New hmm. York hardcore around the same time. Um, but, yeah, both Rabies and Todd um, were just incredible pieces of the New York hardcore – puzzle and it's 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 definitely a loss um i would love to have been able to you know talk to both about this record and wish they were still here putting out music you know warzone was releasing stuff up to the end
0: um you know on victory records Um, well it's it's interesting that basically warzone existed on vinyl, I guess you could say, are, are on recording from like the, the first demo is 84, the As demo is 86, but then Lower East Side Crew is 87, and the last real record is 97. So that's only 10 years, which like back then it seemed like forever. Now we look at it and we're like, oh, because there's hardcore bands now that have been playing for 30 years or more but 10 years back then like that was a big fucking deal that these bands were doing 10 years well
1: you you kind of touched on it earlier you said punk starting near 76 77 so if a band started six years into the movement you know of punk and then they're still around in 97 they they were around for more than half of the time that it existed like i think about I remember having a conversation with a friend about uh, this is getting a little off topic, but I think it puts things into perspective. Like when hate breeds Is the death of desire turned 20 in 2017. And I said, think about this. When satisfaction is the death of desire came out in 97. If you went back 20 years, hardcore didn't even exist then. Like, you know, 77 was Ramones, Buzz Cox, you know, Uh, The Clash, all that stuff, Sex Pistols. So it's just kind of crazy that I know it's just something that happens as you get older where time doesn't seem as distant. You know, like I said earlier, this record may as well have been 50 years old when I got into hardcore because it was from 87. It was hard to find even then, you know, only a few years in, like eight years Later, the record's super hard to find. Like I'm trying to think of now, like I could probably go on discogs and get records from 2012 by most bands pretty cheap. You know what I mean? So it kind of puts it into perspective and also plays into why I didn't hear it until much later.
0: Yeah. You know, um, don't forget the struggle came out actually in the same year. Uh don't forget the struggle, don't forget the streets came out in 87. And only had one track that was also on the seven inch. So if you think about how many songs they already had by 87, you know, that's, they were, they were busy. They were busy writing. They were busy recording. um, And then open your eyes came out in 88. So just in those two years, they had fucking two full lengths and a seven inch ready to go. Like that's, that's an accomplishment right there.
1: Yeah, especially in a time where now I think bands take sometimes a really long time in between records.
0: Um, Yeah, my dude James K actually just pointed out this morning that between there was two Cro-Mags records, and the time between them was seven years. You know, that's a long, a long gap between two records. Yeah, yeah,
1: and then you think about like a band like not that they're hardcore but like the Beatles put out like so, so much material for in, in seven years. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think about that often with a lot of, with a lot of music, like, and I use the Beatles as an example, like they broke big in the U S in 1964. And by 1970, they officially broke up. That's six years. And think of all the records they had and all the cultural change and, I think hardcore back then was kind of the same. These bands were putting out tons of records and it doesn't really happen that way anymore. I'm assuming too, like with hardcore, a lot more bands tour more, you know, when I first got into hardcore bands, you know, you had like bands like, yeah, sick of it all and biohazard and all that stuff. They were like real bands, like, you know, like pro core, but the smaller hardcore bands, they played weekends like on the East coast. Maybe they'd fly out to the West coast. Like touring, I don't think was as like prevalent. Um, but it is, it's crazy to think that this really is the record that started at all. Like 33 years later, people are talking about it. Revelation still putting out stuff. Um, people are still ordering records from Revelation all the time. Um, and it literally started you know, uh, with Ray Capo, you know, at the time was in youth of today and his friend Jordan and Hey, we should do a war zone record. Okay. And that was it. And they, uh, I read Jordan saying he got some help from someone named Kane that worked at um, BYO records, positive force, um, kind of helped him with information on like how to press a record, what to do. Um, And then here we are. It also came with a, I don't know if you saw, it came with like a little, like a Xerox poster,
0: the original pressings. There's a couple different versions of that insert. There's one that's like two yellow papers. There's one that's like one extended white one. And then, you know, there's one that had like... um, uh edits or like oh well on the last one this said this and now this is the way that it is or whatever so yeah i think as the pressings went on they also changed the inserts and kind of they changed the labels like if you look at these pictures of all of the labels um you know we'll post it on the instagram but there's a lot of fucking different versions of this record and those could be you know for one reason or another i i forget which record it is but one of the early rev releases or maybe it's even a schism one like the pressing plant closed down and they lost the masters i think it's the judge 7 inch they lost the masters and so they had to like remix or remaster it so the first gorilla rev, biscuits yeah was it was it? gorilla biscuits yeah, yeah i looked so they, it up
1: um gorilla
0: biscuits i didn't even know that until recently yeah so you I, so that's crazy you know you <laughs> this is an, an interesting topic too that we'll get we'll get onto with all of these releases later, later on but like you get used to hearing a certain version of a song you get used to hearing a demo version or an ep version or a live version and then another version comes out and you might not like it because it sounds different it's mixed yep. different. It's recorded different. Even like the Gorilla Biscuit song on the Together comp, I was listening to it this week and I was like, oh, I don't like this version as much. It's just... That's the way it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right we'll, we'll get to version. that too. Like, yeah. I'm, in
1: this, I'm in the same boat. Like, some of these, sometimes what may be the definitive version, I didn't hear until later. And the one I heard is so embedded um, that it's, it's hard to break. There's other instances that we'll talk about <laughs> chain of strength where
0: <laughs> where the yeah.
1: version that was the one that i was introduced to is far inferior even upon the first time hearing the the regular you know the real mixes but you know we'll, we'll
0: get to that in a, <laughs> a couple uh episodes so but, it's, speaking of songs uh let's talk about hot tracks on this seven inch we're gonna have uh, for each one of these records through the Rev Catalog, we're going to have what we call Hot Tracks. And that's going to be uh, maybe our favorite song or like the hit single or the banger or whatever. So Warzone, Lower East Side Crew, uh, what's your Hot Track? In listening to this, none of the songs that I wasn't
1: too familiar with jumped out at me like the songs that I already knew. Um, I've got to say We're the Crew is, is my Hot Track. It's just such an awesome song. Um, gets stuck in your head and it sort of sums up like what you talked about with rabies, you know, leaving agnostic front and wanting wars into me, this collective, this crew, because really anybody who I've talked to that had encounters with rabies, it was always just like, he was welcome people with open arms, welcomed new people to the scene, you know, uh, did so much for hardcore, especially New York hardcore. He just lived it and breathed it. And I think that we're the crew is a nice
0: encapsulation
1: of that feel. Uh,
0: My, my hot track is take a stand actually. And, but you know, just listening to the seven inch um, what I really, really actually appreciate about the seven inch is that there's fucking seven songs on this record Like, you really get your money's worth. I fucking hate it when seven inches, you get them, and there's two songs on it or, you know, maybe three songs. But seven songs on a seven-inch, that's the most bang for your buck. And um, I also… I also It's like Discord. It's like Discord style. Yeah, like SOA, early early Discord stuff. In my uh, minor threat, you, you know you get a lot of of, uh, music on there and that's important because you couldn't find this stuff on Spotify or on YouTube or whatever. So if you wanted to see the band live and you wanted to experience it and sing along, well, now you have seven chances to do that. And by 88, you have fucking three records worth of chances to sing along. And um, I think that's great. Uh, I also really appreciate how raw this record sounds and it sounds like it was recorded live uh there's you know there's not a, a really slick production value to it um it was produced by jordan ray and ray which i'm assuming is ray capo and rabies and um so everyone kind of had a hand in its uh in its sound and i think that again that's the crew that's the lower east yeah. side crew they all had some input um, I would say one thing
1: I, I want to start with the podcast. I didn't even run this by you yet, so we can edit. We can chop it out. But I think for each release, we should say whether or not we think it's an essential release mm. for the label.
0: Well, um, And I that for- doesn't
1: necessarily mean that we think it's bad or not, but whether it's essential, meaning like somebody getting into hardcore, or wanting to know about Revelation, mm. should they listen to this record?
0: I think... Honestly, I think that if you enjoy hardcore punk, you don't need to own this record, but you for sure should A, listen to this record at least once, check it out. If it's not for you, fucking cool. But B, you should also like, uh, if you're into the hardcore archaeology like we are, do some digging, like read about it, like discover some stuff and and the importance and cultural significance of what this record did. So is it crucial? It's crucial, but maybe not essential for owning or for loving. Like Gorilla Biscuits, starter pack hardcore. Judge, I believe next level from that. Youth of Today, crucial. Um, But Warzone, Lower East Side Crew, I don't know that it's essential, but it is crucial.
1: Okay. I think that's, that's fair. I was yeah. going to say it's, it's essential to the Revelation Records story. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's a great record. Um, I wish that I hadn't been deprived of hearing it for so long. I wish I could have said, oh yeah, this was the first Warzone I heard. Um, but maybe because of the fact that it's so difficult to find, I also think I'm in the same boat. It's a, it's a crucial record, and it's it's it teeters on the edge of being essential. But to me, essential is the first Warzone LP. Like, don't forget the struggle, don't forget the streets. That's essential. Uh, this is close, but no cigar. Just because I think that that ne- knowing that that next record, where that took them and sound wise, sonically. I have a hard time saying this record is essential um, even though I think that it's a great piece of New York hardcore.
0: Yeah, if I only had to have one Warzone record in my collection, just if someone was like, hey, you got to have this in your Ws, I would have uh, DFTS also. I probably wouldn't reach for this. but, um, But it's still, it's a great record. It, you know yeah, it is and, and, and i
1: wonder you know i was at the record store yesterday <laughs> talking to my friend blair who owns siren records and i was you know talking about the podcast and they've been working with revelation selling revelation releases for 30 years and he was like why is some of this stuff out of print and i th- i thought that was a good question and again i would love to talk to jordan about that now this particular record we know is Rabies apparently said he did not want it repressed. That was one of his wishes. So they're honoring that. But then some of the other ones, and we'll talk about that more next time, like Together, Comp. I don't know why, you know, I would think they would want to do like some limited color version, you know, of that.
0: Yeah, it could be like licensing. It could be trying to track down and pay everybody, which I'm sure is not easy after all these years. but yeah, some of these earlier records, um, it was hard to get your hands on. You know, you, uh, maybe you got a dubbed copy of it, like The Chain of Strength, 7-Inch on Rev. I didn't own that for a long time, but uh, I sure as hell had a copy of it on cassette that I listened to the fuck out of and still have, you know? So um, yeah, maybe, maybe the unavailability of this record led to a lot of people not having it, not listening to it, but then also it led to the collectability of it, like going sky high. So there's, um,
1: I want to shout out my friend, uh, Jason Mazzola. He actually also designed uh, the logo for the podcast. Um, Friend of the pod, friend of me, just great, all around great guy. He sang for, Count Me Out, which I know both me and Javier are huge fans of. Yeah, I ride uh, hard for permanent. That's I Me think, too. Man. Which most people, uh, we, I get in the 110 permanent argument, mm-hmm. and um, I'm always in the minority with permanent, so I'm glad to know you're in my corner. But I digress. He sent me something from the Radio Silence book that apparently there was a version of this record, Lower East Side Crew, where, um, and this was posted by uh, Anthony Papolardo who... Uh, that was his book um which after seeing this i was like i gotta get my hands on this book it's a great um, fucking
0: book i got it when it came out um okay the, i got it the other book that he did with max g morton is really good too um i'm i'm a fan of uh of all of their stuff that comes out
1: well shout out shout out to anthony papilardo and i would love to have him on by the way when we discuss yeah. the uh, in my eyes right oh yeah um but there's a version of lower east side crew where the cover is like a lion attacking a horse or something. I can't really tell what's going on here. And apparently it was so rare that even in the book, they had to cover some of the image so that people wouldn't bootleg it. So if anyone has any more information on that, hit us up. Cause I, I would love
0: to hear about that. Um, um I know that that's just crazy. <laughs> in like 2009, I believe supreme did a shirt of that same art so we can uh we could do some digging on that and find out more about that and maybe put it in the uh the instagram or you know some somewhere else but uh yeah there's there's so many interesting things you know you got the the highlighter cover that uh, i read there was 42 of you read there was 41 of um is there a batman how many are there is anybody yeah know? is there a batman stamp version of this like what the fuck else is going on out there how many copies of this did jordan trade for gi joes like what what is happening um i love the gi joe
1: uh the gi joe thing too they, yeah they that so i also see that there was a version of this um that they say that there was 150 given to the band without sleeves when it was pressed and most of the rest are still at the rev warehouse i don't know when this note is from this is on the revelation um the revelation website for their pressing info so if we have anybody that knows that or maybe even if i knew somebody that lived in close proximity that could uh-huh. go there and investigate yeah
0: maybe i could uh, <laughs> we if, could I see cuz yeah. that's
1: that's also n- just crazy um to think that that's just sitting there but yeah i was i was thinking about this record and just in terms of hardcore it had me thinking about how a lot of what at least from our era you know before spotify before file sharing and that like you if your circle of friends didn't tell you you got to listen to the warzone 7-inch there's a good chance you weren't listening to the warzone 7-inch unless maybe you were reading in a fanzine or something that said you had to check
0: it out yeah so dude I, I i didn't listen to chrome mags or bad brains until i was in my 30s because Nobody that I hung out with growing up, growing up listened to that shit. We actually listened to a lot of Revelation stuff. I listened to the fuck out of Far Side and Gorilla Biscuits and Judge and Youth of Today, but nobody in my circle was like, listen to Warzone, listen to New York Hardcore, listen to this. The only New York Hardcore that I ride hard for still to this day is Agnostic Front, like those early records. But it just, it, you're right. If you're not exposed to it and you're not handed it, then. That seed doesn't get planted probably. And, you know, it's, it's harder for you to pick up on this stuff.
1: Yeah. And like, we kind of, I kind of wanted to show with this podcast, like there shouldn't really be any shame in any of that because like I said, I didn't hear this Warzone 7-inch and I love Warzone. Didn't hear this until 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even talking about chrome mags, like when I was 14, 15, nobody I knew was talking about Chromags. mm mm-hmm. You know, I didn't get into them till I was like 18 or 19. And that was <laughs> that was because at that point the internet was popping. And ironically, it was like the Revelation Message Board. Um, shout out to the Rev board. And uh they were talking always about Chrome's. So I got the Another Planet CD with both albums leading back to Warzone. That's how I got into Warzone. I had that Another Planet CD. Um, that now apparently goes for a like, decent amount of money for a CD. And I had uh, Don't Forget the Struggle and Open Your Eyes. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to going through this catalog, finding the pieces I missed. Luckily, I can't think of too many of the early stuff that I don't know. Maybe the Slipknot 7-inch and um, the Together Comp because I was so familiar with the way it is, but we'll save that for uh, another episode. Yeah,
0: as we start to wrap this up, um, Greg, did you ever get to see Warzone? I didn't. I remember um, when
1: Rabies died September 11th, 1997. At that point, I was into hardcore, and I was watching MTV. And they had like a you know MTV news and they announced his passing on there. And for a second, you know, I didn't even put two and two together. Like I think at that point I may have thought Ray of today, Ray Capo. I was like, wait, Ray Capo? And then, you know, thinking it was like a nickname or something. And then I saw it was um it was Warzone. Uh and I, I wasn't really familiar with them yet. It took another like year or two for me to get into them. Um, But I do have friends that saw them, Um, you know, more so in the victory era. I don't know. Yeah, you have one right here.
0: I actually got to see Warzone. I got to see Warzone one time. Uh, As far as I know, it was their only only time coming out to the West Coast. You could correct me if I'm wrong, but it was probably like 90s, somewhere between 95 and 97. It was at the Showcase Theater. it was with Strife, Black Spot, and this band called Triceratops, I believe. And uh, it wasn't a huge packed show. Strife was big at the time, and Warzone played after, and they weren't as well received, I guess. And I remember Rabies jumping into the crowd, and he had construction gloves and like a football jersey. And I was like, wow, this is fucking hardcore. Like, this is fucking, like, I knew he was a fucking character. You know, uh, there was no internet. I couldn't watch any interviews. I, of course, had seen them in catalogs and zines and all that stuff. And so I knew that Rabies was a character, but um, that cemented it in my mind that this guy was a fucking front man. I don't remember who played in the band. I don't remember anything else about their sets. I, I remember a lot, you know, Powerhouse would cover as one. I believe I saw Twenty Five to Life cover as one, you know, it was kind of a I once st- saw
1: Twenty Five to Life cover as one like four times in a set.
0: That's fucking keeping it real right there, dude. <laughs> but yeah, um I
1: was thinking about how I first heard Warzone and it sort of goes back to talking about the whole thing with your circle of friends and your hardcore bubble that you're in. And I, now I know Warzone went in and out of being a straight edge band, like for a little bit in the 87, 88 era. But I think that around the time when Rabies passed away, I was just so entrenched in straight edge hardcore that like Warzone wasn't really on my radar then. Um, and that's just closed mindedness on my part, but I was 15, 16 years old, whatever, um, and the first worst one I heard was probably something on a Victory-style comp. So while the Victory era has some cool songs um, and it had Vinny Value on drums, the late Vinny Value, he, he passed a couple months ago. Uh, you know, he was in Gray Area, whom I absolutely loved. Um, I don't think that Victory stuff is nearly as good as, like, the first LP. So it wasn't until I ended up you know, maybe in the late 90s or maybe like 2000 hearing the first LP and then being like, oh, I get it. Like Warzone's fucking great. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I heard the wrong stuff first. A fun shin, you know, my shin info of the day is that at Posse Numbers 2003, we covered We Being One Up. We did the Warzone intro from The Sound of Revolution. So not the... Not the uh, intro from Don't Forget the Struggle, which would have been the smart one to do. Like, we thought we were funny and did The Sound of Revolution, and nobody knew what it was almost. (laughs) And it was just really funny. But the guys in One Up, to their credit, those guys all loved Warzone like more than I did at that point. Like, they were like into all this stuff. Like, I think our drummer maybe even had the Bullet album. Like, we'd always heard about this. Yeah. Self titled, like, yeah, there's this, you know, it's called the bullet, you know, it's just Warzone, but had like the bullet holes on it. I don't know if I ever heard more than
0: like a few seconds of it and just went, no, nah, this is, yeah, it's t- not t- for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, as we as we start to wrap this episode up, um, I think in in speaking about Victory, um, Victory did put In Memory of Rabies on the back of many records for years after his passing. And I read in, in doing, um, research for this episode that they actually donated to a bunch of charities that either like involved rabies or he asked them to help. So, um, you know, I guess that's at least besides putting out some, some monumental records, that might be the only good thing that victory ever did for the world, but, uh, (laughs)
1: It is pretty It is pretty cool. It was definitely cool yeah. seeing that Rabies Memoriam on the back of like a Thursday CD mm-hmm. or Bayside or whatever. Um, and I wanted to add, I'd be remiss if I didn't, with Victory. Apparently, Rabies did not want this Lower East Side crew to be reissued, but they re-recorded either all of or almost all of them on one of the Victory releases. I, I want to say it was like either called lower east side or it was called from old school to new school and yeah
0: old school to new school school in 94 (laughs) i don't think no (laughs) so
1: that that'll wrap it up for today uh next week we're going to be talking about revelation 002 their first compilation um together
0: new york city hardcore together so stay tuned for that i actually really like i really like that seven inch and so i'm excited to dig into it Uh, Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thanks for everyone's support and we'll see you next week. Peace out. Later.